You're listening to KXOB, Ocean Beach, where Constancy is the spice of life. Welcome to Beach Cop Detectives, a Terriers podcast. Episode 8, Agua Caliente. I'm Randy Lander with the TV Dudes, and my co-host this week is David Satello of the ATX Television Festival. Welcome aboard. Thanks for having me. You actually introduced the Terriers panel at ATX Fest. That's right. And you knew this was coming, and I, it was a big surprise for me when, the, when it became revealed, because those are my favorite shows. To see that it was going to be here, and that Donald Logue was going to be here, and Ted Griffin, and Sean Ryan, and everybody else, was a huge thing for me. Yeah, I mean, I was exactly in the same boat as you. You know, it was one of my all-time favorite shows, and for me, it was probably one of my first experiences with cancellation heartbreak where i was i had no idea that shows could just be gone forever like that you know within a week of it leaving the air so yeah it was always on a wish list and it was on all of our wish lists and we talked about it for a while and somehow we just got super lucky and um got sean ryan to commit to coming to the festival pretty early on and he, and he was one of the first ones that made it certain that we would be able to do something like this and from there i mean these guys seem to really like Obviously, you know they they really value the experience of the show and the camaraderie of all that. So they um they were all pretty quick to jump on board and yeah, it was probably one of the easiest cases we had. <laughs> nice, yeah. yeah. So I asked you here to talk about Agua Caliente, the mm-hmm. eighth episode. It was written by Fief Sutton and staff writer John Worley. And Fief Sutton's previous episode here was Change Partners, which right. is interesting. Whenever I look at like the list of of episodes, you think Change Partners, like oh that must be the episode where. Hank and Britt change partners. Right, yeah. No, change partners was the one about the uh, the woman and her and her husband, her cuckolded husband. Right. Yeah. This one is also changing partners because we see Britt and Hank go back to their previous partnerships. Of course. Yeah. Which I thought we got to see Hank sort of how he we've we've gotten sense of how he and Gustafson relate before this. Totally. That Gustafson thinks Hank's knows Hank's a little bit full of shit when he comes to him, mm-hmm. but that he still loves him and that kind of thing. And we we got to see more of that with the two of them actually working together. We'd seen a little bit of Brit with his former partner, Ray, but this was the first time we'd seen them together and we got to see Brit sort of regress a little bit to what he used to do, you know, going into a police station and stealing a bunch of their drugs and that kind of thing. And I like seeing uh, Brit a little bit on his own and seeing that, oh, he's not just this kid who's Hank's, you know, partner who's who's been taken under Hank's wing. He's got his own uh, persona and his own skills. Totally. And, and I think that a lot of the hijinks that he and Hank get into in the episodes before that whenever Brit is going on a on whenever he's doing a mission if you will um and and sneaking in somewhere to to plant something or steal something that it's all kind of it's it's great and it's fun heisty material and and it has that sort of fun attitude and this one really gives you the first sort of glimpse of what his previous life was like and and you know all of it's you know implied obviously in the the first episode when Ray comes in but this is your first taste of seeing you know the flip side when I did the rewatch of this, this was the first time I've realized that Maximiliano Hernandez played Ray. Mm-hmm. And that guy, I mean, that's that's Agent Sitwell from Marvel, among so many other things. Right. And that had not occurred to me. I knew I liked the character. Mm-hmm. But in watching it again and seeing, oh, wow, that guy really brings something to this kind of small role. Oh, totally, yeah. And I, when he gets sort of taken away at the end of the episode in the police car and, and Gustafson looks over at him, mm-hmm. I don't know about you, I got the sense that... If the show had continued, we probably would have been seeing Ray again. Like, he would have been a recurring thorn in their side. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I think is kind of so genius about this one is is that, you know, they plant this seed in episode three. And that's what the first time you see him. And, you know, he's presumably 
just you assume that the case is solved and they they got him framed and all that stuff with the robbery and and so you don't have to worry about him ever again and they just right. do this great setup where they just kind of keep him tucked in their back pocket and then pull him out right at this crazy again when, when the words cartel grab were yeah. spoken the first time i was like wait what or this is <laughs> this is where we are now um, yeah what happened what <laughs> exactly and and to see him at the other side of that tunnel was like oh okay now and and it, it totally works to me and it's totally organic and and doesn't at all seem you know, shoehorned in or anything like that. And the way that he gets loose, too, is very much the the way of Terriers, which is always about institutional failures and the rich versus the poor and that kind of thing. That the right. notion that basically he got away because Gustafson was like, yeah, we looked for him. He was gone. We figured he'd head to Mexico already. Right. Yeah. Like, it just fell through the cracks. It wasn't important. Yep. It was really important to them mm-hmm. to frame him and get him put away. Yeah. But it wasn't that important to the cops. It was just one more guy who was an armed robber. Yeah, he's probably gone. Yeah, and, and even doing a rewatch, I, I actually forgot that he pops up again in this yeah. episode. So, yeah, it was a bit of a surprise to me, even though I, I've seen it before. But it was, they just, again, they tuck him away so well and then bring him back in such a natural way that it really works. Yeah, I agree. So this episode is directed by John Dahl, who has done so much good TV, uh, <laughs> including Justified, The Bridge. He did the features Rounders and The Last Seduction, right? which is another case of the Terriers getting just fantastic directors. Oh, yeah. I've noticed that in in the era of peak TV, it seems like more often than not, there's a handful of directors who attach the show. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's something like True Detective, where you've got Cor- uh, Kerry Fukunaga, right. who directs every episode, or you've got Justified or Breaking Bad or Game of Thrones, where they've got three or four people who are sort of do every episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, This was, for the most part, I think, and I haven't gone all the way through yet, but I believe it was mostly people doing like one episode. Yeah, pretty much. That's kind of old school TV. Mm-hmm. This one, I thought this had some amazing direction. And really, they do have kind of a murderer's row of, of yeah. directors where, you know, obviously to see Ryan Johnson's name on an episode of Terriers is mm-hmm. amazing. And, and all these directors, I think, like you said, with Peak TV now, that, that these names are kind of known now. I mean, yeah. but whereas at the time when I watched it, I didn't really know who anybody was. But yeah, they're like people who went on to do some really great stuff. Yeah, they make, they do a great job. Yeah, they brought in they brought in a, a talented group of people. And yeah, mm-hmm. like you, I, when I was watching it originally, I wasn't paying attention to mm-hmm. credits. I wasn't watching. I didn't know who the writers were. Right. I knew who Ted Griffin was because I mm-hmm. knew Ocean's Eleven. Right. And I knew who Sean Ryan was because of The Shield. But the other names, like Thief Sutton being involved with this was a shock to me. And Thief Sutton was one of the guys behind Cheers, right. which is one of my all-time favorite shows. So when this turned up and Thief Sutton's name was in, I'm like, that's, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. And he wrote two of my favorite episodes because this is a really, really great episode. Oh, yeah. So the opening shot, which is one of the things that like, immediately put me in the mind of, I can't find who the director was, was <laughs> that shot from the bottom of the golf course mm-hmm. where they're sort of shooting up. Yeah. And there's a couple shots like that in mm-hmm. this episode. But I liked what it says early on that, Hank, you see him sort of sink this putt mm-hmm. and you get this sense. Hank's always been sort of this hang dog kind of guy. Right. But you get the sense that Hank sort of maybe used to live in civilized society a little bit more. Totally. <laughs> and Britt is terrible at golf. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a nice little moment between the two of them, a reminder that they come from different places, even if they've come to the same place now. Yeah, and it's a light touch, but but it does, you know, again, and Hank says later in the episode when he's, like, talking about the clean-cut Anglo-Saxons crossing the border yeah. and, and how he is not that anymore. And, and, yeah, it definitely suggests what his life was and, and how far he has fallen, so to speak. Yeah, well, you look at where Gretchen and Jason are now, and right. you feel like Hank was Hank was the Jason at that point. Yeah, totally. You know, no, shaggy dog. <laughs> they tend to do sort of the the openings that are case of the week a little bit mm-hmm. sometimes and i like the they're just going to serve a guy for right. maggie <laughs> right. and i thought the chase scene in this one where they go they run to the club mm-hmm. and the guy like dumps a bo- bucket of golf balls it's such a 
it's at the same time a cliched chase mm-hmm. and something you have not seen before. Right, yeah. You know, usually it's through back alleys mm-hmm. or whatever and they're dumping over food carts. Yeah. Dumping a bowl, a whole ball of golf balls, that, that was just <laughs> Lo- a really funny Looney Tunes, bit. basically. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, well, and also, I mean, Hank, when, when the lady gets shoved over, you know, Hank runs by and says, are you all right? And, you yeah. know, anything else, you know. Just an expendable bystander, but but you know, of course they have to add the little touch where it right. speaks to him. Yeah, it does. So Brit's missing, and another another great low shot where we see that's a cell phone. We're just focused in on it, yep. and uh, it's it's such a great sort of moment of oh something's happened here. Mm-hmm. We don't know what, but there's this isolated cell phone ringing, and it's a pretty good metaphor for oh somebody's not there. Right, Hank. Before he goes to figure that all out, I thought this was interesting that Hank goes back to, to Mag's. Because he thinks maybe that Brit like you know got separated and they went back there, right? And Mags is pumping breast milk, <laughs> yeah. which makes for a really funny scene. Yeah. Even even when they cut to to closer shots later and they and they cut that yeah. element out of it, it's still just it's in your mind the whole time that yeah. that's what's going on. And it had to be there. Oh, of course, yeah. yeah. It, it's really just one of those like master strokes that to me is such a terrier's thing. And Jamie Denbo, who plays Mags, mm-hmm. really she's a fairly small piece of this. She doesn't get a lot of big scenes, but I feel mm-hmm. like she makes the most of every scene she has. Like, Absolutely, she looks so non and so annoyed with hank Mm -hmm. and yet there's always that familiarity and sort of fondness for him is clear she throws these guys work because she likes them Mm -hmm. yeah and so it's always good to see mags even if this this is about all we'll see over this episode basically yeah even though it all started with her so while we're talking about hank and brit and their partners there's also katie's story here yeah and katie is to some extent forced in the damsel in distress role in this episode but we're also dealing with the fallout from her story yeah which i like that this is one thing they did in Terriers very well was that they would make whatever was going on in their lives play into the current case, whether it was the previous episode mm-hmm. where everything was Steph's mental illness plays into how Hank reacts to the the amnesiac kid. Right. This episode, Katie being in danger is partly because she's so isolated and so trying to keep herself away from her professor and her classes. Mm-hmm. I mean, the reason they can't reach her when they need to is because her cell phone is left at the at the class because she was awkward with the professor yeah. and just wanted to get out of there as fast as possible. The pacing and the writing on this one was struck me more this time watching it where it just barrels ahead. The show's never had a pacing problem, but this one flies so well and, yeah. and just goes from disaster to disaster and, and just it keeps escalating in this crazy way. And again, like you said, while juggling this case of the week sort of thing with the overall arc with katie and, and all that stuff it really it moves that that entire start side of the story it moves it so far forward without even really seeming like the whole episode is about that it, it pushes it you know pretty pretty far in the grand scheme of the whole season right well and especially when we see them together at the apartment at the end mm-hmm. where her her professor's shown up and yep. we see brit in the same room with mm-hmm. him and katie's just standing there horrified and yep. And not just horrified, but also kind of just the guilt is right on his face because Brit's being nice to the guy and saying, hey, hope this doesn't affect your grave, making yeah. jokes and all that kind of thing. And he doesn't have any idea what's happened. Yeah. And, and the other two people in the room do. Right. And, and, and watching it this time, I, you know, I remembered that Hank got shot during yeah. this whole encounter and stuff like that. And even then, I, I totally forgot that, <laughs> that the professor was still locked in the bathroom. Right. And and so when you hear the knocking, it even now knowing how, how the season goes and everything pans out i mean i i still like had that twist in my stomach I'm just like oh you're like what's gonna happen shit. here you know yeah. exactly and yeah it was just a train wreck in every way but i noticed that in rewatching this too is that and this and all the episodes is that even when i remember what's gonna happen mm-hmm. whether it's her leaving the phone behind or hank and gustafson getting there just mm-hmm. as brit has escaped from the police station all that kind of thing yeah 
I remember the basics of it. Like I remember, oh wait, this happens here. Right. I don't remember when it's happening. Mm-hmm. And just watching it all click together is still so pleasurable to see how everything clicks. Absolutely. It's a beautifully constructed puzzle. So Gustafson and Hank working together, I've got plenty of reasons to be sad that, that, that we never got more than one season of mm-hmm. Terriers. But one of the reasons is I feel like we never got our chance to get our flashback episodes right. of Gustafson and Hank together at their prime. Yeah, I would tell you. Because those guys have such great chemistry. The best. <laughs> uh, just, I mean, the same that Britt and Hank have such great chemistry, which is sort of the heart of the show. Mm-hmm. But the two of them... When they're and you referenced it earlier, when they're in the car and they're mm-hmm. they're talking and they're going they're heading down to Mexico, mm-hmm. they've got this easy relationship with the other and this this sort of snappy banter and that kind of thing. Yeah, and, and actually, after having seen the the Terriers panel at ATX, um, there was a little nugget in there. Um, like I said, with that line about the Anglo-Saxon clean cut look that they <laughs> they said in the panel about Gustafsson originally being a Swedish character when they wrote him in the script, and then <laughs> Rockman Dunbar was so good that they yeah. just. We're like, oh yeah, well, let's cast him, of course, and they forgot to like change that, and oh, so man. and so the line where where Hank's like, you know, well, yeah, and you're supposed to be Swedish <laughs> was actually a little, and that didn't actually click with me until oh, watching that's it this time. Good. Yeah, I did not know that. That's awesome. Yeah, well, it's hard to imagine anyone but Rockman Dunbar playing that part now. Exactly. Yeah, and it's actually weird for me to see him in anything else now because yeah. he is so you know so that character that it's hard to erase him from. Yeah. <laughs> well, in in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, where he plays one of the bad guys. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I still feel like I'm like, wait a minute, but you're you're still Gustafson. You're the nice. <laughs> guy and yeah yeah i do like that when hank goes to see gustafson gustafson's on the phone with either his wife or his girlfriend yeah. and hank does the sort of folksy thing the uh <laughs> the, hey if you're tired of this guy i'm single now <laughs> right. and gustafson does not appreciate that joke uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so the two of them so hank goes to borrow gustafson's badge they mm-hmm. go out to check the security tapes and i thought there was another bit of showing that hank for all his beach bum kind of look and that kind of thing we've always seen that he's a good detective mm-hmm. So he's seen the skid marks. He knows that a car burned out of there. Yeah. And this is one of the things I respect about Terriers is they're really able to do the mysteries mm-hmm. to a point where like, okay, it's believable, but they get things moving. They don't spend a lot of time on red herrings. This isn't Law and Order where they spend a lot of time pointing you at six different people. Right. Yeah. Like they're just moving along the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, and, it's, and he's competent without being, you know, a, a, just a genius, you know, who who can put these pieces together that don't actually make sense. Right. He he really, you know, it's like he said, it's a really natural, organic thing where he you can tell how how good he is at what he does without mm-hmm. being overstated or beating you over the head right. with it. He's not Sherlock. He's not a like a schlubby detective who can't get the job done either. He's, Absolutely. He's got they got that mix. They have another great little. One of the things I've talked about on this show over and over again is how they're small parts. Mm-hmm. They always just, I don't know if this was the casting or the direction or what, but they always had this great little small part. So the laid back, possibly stone dude watching the security tapes right. is like maybe <laughs> one line, but he's, yeah. he's such a well-realized character just in that moment. And I like that basically there's there's like, hey, watch this. And the guy's watching the guys, <laughs> throw him in the car. And his reaction isn't like one of horror. He's like, oh, man. I threw that guy. <laughs> <laughs> you, you mentioned earlier, we hear cartel grab. Mm-hmm. And immediately... We're in a new area because, as far as we know, Brit has no cartel ties. Right, yeah. And Hank and Brit have had enemies, mm-hmm. the Montague group and all that, but nothing to do with the cartel. So right. this is a new thing. And then all of a sudden, we're down in Mexico. Yeah. In Mexico, we meet Felipe Prado, played by Jose Pablo Cantillo. Tons of credits. Uh, people might know him. He was one of the governor's enforcers on The Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. I was looking at his IMDb page, and this poor guy has played so many thugs. Yeah. Uh, but he plays it really well. He's really good and scary. Yeah, that's why I put him in everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's sort of upbeat and happy mm-hmm. about the whole thing, but you get the sense that at any minute he could snap into violence. Oh, yeah, totally. And I mean, you get the little bobo touch in there <laughs> about his cousin. 
I like that Brit is, you know, going to say, you know, I don't, I'm not going to do this. Mm-hmm. He's got no leverage with Ray, of course. Right. Like, like Brit doesn't really care about Ray. Mm-hmm. And Brit turns into a flat, but then he shows him a picture of Katie and it's on from there. And I'm going to play that scene real quick. Listen, I don't know my so-called amigo told you, but I don't steal for a living, man. Anymore. Look, I told him you wouldn't do it, bro. At least not for me. So many emails. Spam. Spam. Sp- ah, okay, here we go. Is that what your girl was wearing last time you seen her? Yo, bitch! Hey, hey. Ah! Okay, listen to me. Listen to me, huh? Hey, hey, hey. She seems very nice, okay? Nothing is going to happen to her so long as this property is returned to me by 6 o'clock. At 6 o'clock, I call my cousin, my other cousin, not the ball. Eurico. He come back here. She never know you there. But if you know him for me, it could be a problem. Comprende? So now Katie's on the firing line, as we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. There's a nice little bit where he says, he tells him right off the bat that if he doesn't make a phone call at six, something's going to happen to her. And so he can't just, you know, he can't grab the phone and call Katie. Right. He can't just get rid of the guy. It's the dead man switch approach. Yeah. And again, you, they, they set that up so well with, with episode three with Ray, where you get all those pieces of Ray knowing that, that he's not doing it anymore, but he still can mm-hmm. break into things. And he knows about Katie and all that stuff. And it really, again, setting those breadcrumbs early on, it really just pays off so well in this episode, I think. So let me ask you how you feel about Ray as a character, as, as a guy. Because he definitely, I mean, he sold out Brett. Mm-hmm. And worse, he told them about Katie. Yeah. Like, he definitely put them in danger. Mm-hmm. But he's so damn charming. He really is. And you get such a good feel of their friendship yeah. and, and sort of how bonded they are that, you know, he can't shake, you know, and, and seeing them when they when they stage their brawl after yeah. being let go, yeah. it, it's just so fun. And you can tell that, I mean, without them having to even say to the, to the camera in front of the camera, you know, OK, you're going to stand here and I'm going to punch you and yeah. we're just getting to jail that way. Like you just, you, you know, you get the little shock of like, oh, they're really doing this right now. And then <laughs> when you get that little that little grin from Ray about, you know. Nice job. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it, it really, you get such a feel for how close they are or how close they, they were, were at least. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's great. And well, again, that, that character could have been such a cartoon, cardboard, mustache twirling absolutely. villain. And you really get enough of a sense of who he is. Yeah. I mean, you see the same sort of thing that you see between Brit and Hank. You see mm-hmm. these two were really close. They were partners. They probably joked around. They exactly. were, you know, friends with one another. Mm-hmm. And there's a part of me that feels for Ray. Like, hey, you know, this, this guy that he knew, he, he relied on and trusted. Mm-hmm. To his mind, that guy has just disappeared, and he wants him back. Yeah, and and he also sold him out and, and, and him framed out. him. Like you know, yeah, there's a lot in there without being you know overly sentimental or sappy. Right. I did like this. We talked about this earlier. The uh, forgetting little details. Mm-hmm. I'd forgotten that the fight was about them getting thrown into the prison. Right. Yeah, me too. And, <laughs> and so when he starts to throw in the punch, I'm like, yeah, go get him. And exactly. I'm like, oh wait a minute, this was the plan. Uh huh. It was about halfway through that I was like. All right, yep. yeah, because the show is smarter than, than that, yeah. <laughs> just yeah. to have him get angry and throw a punch. I do have to say, uh, while I love uh, the set decoration and all that for Terrors in general, mm-hmm. that is probably the nicest bar I've ever seen in Tijuana. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it yeah. was the only i think they just they found a san diego bar and they put a sign up that said cerveza uh-huh. and they made that the bar. exactly yep <laughs> which i thought was kind of funny but we have another small character where gustafson and hank will get us the name of felipe prado because we don't know the name mm-hmm. we just know the scary guy right who said go get our cocaine out of the police lockup yeah actually doesn't say cocaine because he gets real mad when <laughs> when brit says something about being drugs yep but they go talk to a dea contact uh samuel weissdorf Who's played by, and I'm going to mess up this name, Keith 
Sarbayaka. Uh, he's one of those that guys. He's got yeah. like 100 plus credits on IMDb. Lots of voice and video game work. He was in Dark Knight and Argo. Mm-hmm. People may not know that name, but trust me, when you see him, you've seen him. Yeah. Totally. And he plays the hell out of this bit. Yeah. With Hank being sort of on the outs and Mark and Agent Weisdorf having this sort of back and forth, this ease of like, they're still both cops. Mm-hmm. Hank gets sort of, they, they sort of bust his balls about not being a cop. So uh, you're not a cop anymore, right? Hank, he's talking to you. Hmm? No, not anymore. You know, for a second I thought you were undercover, but now I realize you just dress like that. <laughs> <laughs> but he gets, it's a great little moment. It's another another great clue chain because they go to a guy. Mm-hmm. Of course, if they hear cartels, mm-hmm. they go to the DEA guy that he knows. And of course, it's easy for them to figure out who this guy was. It's real. They, they get the part, license plate. They figure out it's Felipe Prado, mm-hmm. and they look up a known associates, and they get Ray. Yeah. And I mean, the the, the line about Pollock like Pollock, yes. like dumbass. Yes. <laughs> that one that one gets me every time. And then there's this great sort of speech that I think cuts to the heart of what Terriers is all about. Well, if there is a way to do this, Hank, you get back to the station, call Bremer. Have him reach out to some of his contacts with the Mexican police. I'm not waiting for some international bureaucracy to grind into motion. I'm getting my passport. I'm going into Mexico. Do you, do you want a souvenir? Maybe a highlight basket or how about race size and cuffs? Be nice to put that warrant to bed, huh? Come with me, Mark. Kid's in trouble. You're really going to do that, aren't you? I have to. He's my partner. And from there, we're into the meat of Brit and Ray down in Mexico. They're busting out of the jail after being thrown deliberately into the jail. They're not too glamorous about how they got the lockpicks in. No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Forgot about that one. <laughs> I, I love that he hands in the lockpick and he's like, he just looks at him. He's like, what? It was, it was, <laughs> yeah. it was in rubber. It's not. Very casual. I think, I think Ray knows what he's doing. Britt, again, we see how good he is at, at this job because he sneaks around the police station, picks the lock, gets in the evidence mm-hmm. and just grabs it, throws it in a bag like, he is fairly confident when he's in this situation. There's there's this nice bit of tension that they show when they when they shoot him from behind, when he's picking the lock of the evidence room. Mm-hmm. It's one of those tricks that you see in horror movies and that kind of thing where there's a sense of someone, the camera's watching, but you get the sense of someone watching and someone oh, can yeah. come in at any moment. Totally. And it really heightens the tension. And I love when they do someone like that. Mm-hmm. And you see him in his element and being, I mean, at this point, he is kind of a professional when it comes to this mm-hmm. and he treats it seriously. Whereas on Ray's end of the situation of the equation, he's a lot messier, in my yeah. opinion. And you know, again, Britt tells him to not do anything stupid while he's gone. And you know, granted, he gets him out that way, but yeah. still, it's it's not at all a clean, quiet thing like the way Britt carries his side of it. Right. Well, you've, Britt seems to be a guy who did the you know B and E cat burglar type thing. Mm-hmm. He was not a violent guy. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, although we we've learned from the show previously, and we'll see even more later on. I don't want to say too much, but mm-hmm. Britt does have a violent streak. Totally. And I always wondered if we if there was a, sen- a part of that back in his history, or if we never just saw it. We, we saw that what we thought was his temper with Ray, right? But that was actually part of the plan. Yeah. Totally. We have seen his temper flare, flare up a little bit. Sure. Yeah. And you know, I I don't know that he never took that part in the role when mm-hmm. they were partners before. It gets them out, and they walk out with a ton of cocaine. And right as they're walking out. Hank and Gustafson are walking in. It's my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> it really, it, it just, that's the show to, to a T for me. Yeah. And, and really just having them do that really just side by side is, is one of my favorite parts of the episode. And at that point, we're getting, we're starting to get to the end of the episode. And this is another thing we've noticed as we've been talking about through the season is that Terriers was a show that 
usually when you get to the last five or ten minutes of a show, you're in the wrap-up mode. Mm-hmm. And Terrors is a show that throws another wrench at the five-minute mark every time. Right, yeah. And this time, that was Katie's da- The Danger with Katie. Mm-hmm. We had her whole story with uh, Professor Owen, mm-hmm. and we had her um, you know, running out of there without the cell phone. We've had them trying to call the cell phone. We know somebody's watching her. Britt's going to try and hand, he's like, hand up the cocaine, mm-hmm. get, the, get the dogs called off, yeah. Katie will be safe. And then he runs into kind of a major hitch. Right. <laughs> with the guys in suits. Yeah. <laughs> and that's another one of my favorite scenes that I'd sort of forgotten until I went and, and rewatched the, the show. Mm-hmm. That Britt just jumps in the midst of this thing that's yeah. easily could have gotten him killed. Totally. And I, and I, 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 I forgot that that was how it happened. So as he's standing there peeking around the corner, I was like, wait, how does he get out of this yeah. one again? And it he just, just see walks just in. Walk off the cliff. Yeah, yeah. he just does it. And. Yeah, I mean, there's so many ways. If that guy had been more like Breaking Bad's, you know, mm-hmm. drug dealer, right. if he was temperamental, yep. this guy's a pro. And once once Brit's like, no, take her cocaine. I'm not trying to get any money. I didn't steal from you. Mm-hmm. I just want that guy's cell phone. And the guy's mostly amused by this. Yeah. He's like, this crazy gringo jumped in front of me mm-hmm. in front of like three guns to get a cell phone. That guy's got a morbid sense of humor, too, with his, oh, he's out of minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah another great another great character totally yeah. but yeah so uh i thought that we get to see again how dedicated brit is to katie mm-hmm. which is heartbreaking because we know that the two of them are sort of at odds right now because of katie and what not because of anything brit's done right, right. but because katie is trying to let this thing go past without ever telling him right yeah and and so to see that yeah he's so dedicated to her mm-hmm. that he would absolutely face death for her yeah well, and, and like when you were talking about the last five minutes and the craziness of that, um, what struck me about this, I actually, I watched the episode twice this time. The By the time they break out of the prison, that's about the halfway mark. And this episode's only 40 minutes long, which in today's TV terms, having an episode be 40 minutes is pretty nuts because there are so many shows that go yeah. hour plus without commercials and stuff like that. And this episode just moves so fast that it feels, I mean, it's an episode of a comedy show yeah that's that whole last sequence with them getting katie and it just moves so quickly that you just don't even really realize how much is flown by and how much they pack into each episode yeah absolutely well and the, the sense of danger isn't listened in any way yeah exactly. like when you see katie and this is another this there's a couple great reveals even in this late, late moment when ray and and uh, brit are trying to get back they've got the cell phone now and he's like okay i'm gonna make the call mm-hmm. and then a cop car pulls up yep. like the worst possible timing uh-huh. And I, at no point was it taken out like, oh, that's convenient. It was just mm-hmm. perfect. It felt like their luck. Yep. Oh, yeah. And then we go back to Katie, and she's there with her professor, or the professor's coming to bring her turn the phone, and it's another great bit of misdirection because you think, okay, this is set up so that we get the awkward th- scene between her and her professor, mm-hmm. so that she can get her phone back. Like, this is all good, good moments. Yeah. And we saw Winston barking at the door, mm-hmm. but, you know, between commercials or the last break, you've forgotten about it. Right, yeah. So that- when the door pulls open and the guy is already there with the gun, mm-hmm. it's such a great reveal. Yep. And suddenly the professor's in it and it's all gotten way more complicated. Yeah. And again, to, to bring the pro- professor into that part of the orbit of the danger and all that stuff is such a seamless integration of these different plot threads that mm-hmm. just works so well and, and again, makes sense, you know, and, yeah. and the I'm sure someone could argue that the, the cell phone leaving it in the classroom thing is contrived, but to me, it really just, it's a pretty understandable thing and yeah. and yeah the way it all clicks together again i don't notice the seams in it at all yeah well that's one of the things i think that even even on later rewatches where i sort of know where things are going a little mm-hmm. bit yeah it doesn't feel yeah it never feels contrived like oh of course this is going to happen because mm-hmm. she's an awkward with him 
and she's wanting to get out of there and mm-hmm. she, she takes off so and she has gavin making comments every time she yeah. goes up to the professor and all that stuff and so everything is pushing her out of that door yeah. and i've left my phone like that plenty and of that's times just, so that's just good setup yeah, yeah totally. it's totally believable yeah that is i mean we're really toward the end of the episode there's not much time left and <laughs> there's this whole big thing that's just been introduced mm-hmm. and everybody's back from mexico and Hank, again, a little bit of detective work, he notices that there's a car where there was a sketchy dude sitting earlier. Mm-hmm. And immediately they know, and they just in it, into action. They draw a gun, you know, Gustafson draws his gun, mm-hmm. they head in. And Katie, while she is the damsel in distress to some extent, is not reduced to being passive. Right. You know, she, she makes her move and tries to knock the guy away. Mm-hmm. And everything just accelerates from there. But the scissors too, because yeah. I didn't, I didn't actually really even, even re- I, the first rewatch didn't think of anything of it. But then the second time, I realized that they set that up with her saying where the scissors up on the fridge, and You're it pulls right. them down from there yeah. to attack him. And I was just like, this show's <laughs> genius. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, I mean, I don't know how that, how all the writing went. Where some, if there was a pass where they're like, okay. How does everything connect? Mm-hmm. But it feels like that. Yeah. Because there's never a thing where you're like, wait, where did that come from? Exactly. Yeah. And it's so important, like you said, to have her to actually fight for her own safety and stuff like that. It really, you know, she's such a great character. And yeah. really, they could have reduced her to any number of sort of, you know, tired tropes. But she really totally fits with her character, I feel like. And that's that's something we talked about in earlier episodes, too, is that in sort of Age of Peak TV, especially mm-hmm. with things like Breaking Bad, and I can't remember any of those shows off the top of my head, but I know that the... People hated Skylar on Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. There's this there's this tendency, even when the woman is in the right, mm-hmm. she's the person who's pushing against our protagonist, and so people start seeing them as shrill or problems. I don't think anyone would have viewed Katie that way. Katie is a as a character on her own. Right, yeah, totally. So Hank gets shot saving Katie. Mm-hmm. We get to this thing at the end that's a callback where Mark took Brit aside and told him, look, Hank's going to let you down. Mm-hmm. And there's a great callback here where Britt gets to sort of respond to that. Hey, Mark. A while ago, you said that Hank would let me down. The guy getting put in that ambulance right there, he just took a bullet from my girl, man. The team wanted to rescue my ass. I never said he wouldn't have his moments. And you know what? And don't forget that I crossed across the border to rescue you, too. You know, I don't have to thank me at once. Just send me a muffin basket in about a week. Hey, what was it? I mean, how, how do you let you know? Oh, no, no, no. That's, uh, that's a story he's going to have to tell you. So that's a nice payoff to what, what they've been setting up, that Gustafson doesn't dislike Hank. Mm-hmm. He just knows Hank. Yeah. Uh, maybe better than Britt does. And again, you see that over the course of the episode with how well they work together that, you know, it's not at all just a lip service thing. I mean, it's always that thread has been there and, and you can see the DNA of their relationship throughout the previous seven episodes. And, and yeah, this is just such a well-placed payoff, I feel like, where it reaches its logical sort of conclusion yeah. emotionally, too. And then there's one last little stinger yeah. in the ambulance mm-hmm. with Hank and the professor. Hey, professor. Professor, mm. how you feeling? Not a little lightheaded. Well, enjoy it while it lasts. The headache that's coming is no picnic. You married? Mm. Yeah, seven years. You? No. You got kids? A boy and a girl. That's great. Listen, if you ever cheat on your wife again with one of your students, I'll make damn sure she finds out. Plus your tenure committee in every vet school from here to Managua. Do we understand each other? And 
I, I, there's so many sides to Hank, mm-hmm. but Vindictive Hank is kind of my favorite. Hank. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like he's so ingratiating. He's like, you got kids, mm-hmm. you got a wife, and then he just lays down this threat. Yep. And you know that Hank is not averse to destroying people's lives. I mean, he planned a gun on Lindus. Yeah. Granted, Lindus had done some things to deserve it, mm-hmm. but he's perfectly willing to destroy people's lives if they get in his way. Mess with Jason's credit. Yeah. Credit card stuff. You know, yeah, yeah. it's you certainly not out of the realm of possibility with him. And and yeah, it's his menacing tone. And that scene is just, yeah, it's so great. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a it's a perfect capper to the episode. Well, thank you for coming here and talking about this with me. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Definitely. Uh, So in this episode, we've got adventures in the Mexican drug trade, Katie's affair continued to cause problems, and a glimpse of the old days for both Hank and Britt. Yep. And we got fun. Beach Cop Detectives is an independently run podcast co-produced by Randy Lander and Grant Davis from the TV Dudes and part of the Permanent Record Network. Music for this series includes the surf music tracks Happy and Whimsical by Paul Tyann. To hear more of his work, go to SoundCloud.com slash Paul Tyann. Artwork for the show is by Nate Bliss. You can find him at n8bliss-art.tumblr.com. You can like us on Facebook at Beach Cop Detectives and on Twitter at Beach Cop Podcast. You can hear weekly TV commentary by Randy and Grant at thetvdudes.com. Thanks for listening.